KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Neil Benson says dumpster diving is like Fight Club. First, first rule of dumpster diving is you don't talk about dumpster diving. Huh. Unless you're showing off. <laughs> the second rule of dumpster diving never get into a dumpster you can't get out of. At least 10% of the time, these people walk over to dumpsters, throw the lid back, and 40 raccoons staring up out. But usually the person will go get like a piece of lumber or a huge box or something and put it in the dumpster. And then you'll see a whole exodus of raccoons. Because the raccoons get stuck? They jump in, but don't put realize way too late they can't get out. Of course they're not. Uh, It's interesting. Something I learned the hard way as a human, some raccoons haven't yet learned. (laughs) Neil has been rummaging through people's trash for over 40 years. This is The John Cast, a podcast about interesting and unexpected stories from Philadelphia. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa, and this week... We get to meet the Dumpster Divers of Philadelphia, a club of recyclers and found object artists who find new uses for other people's trash. Tell me about when this group started, because you were one of the original. Right. The Flounders. Neil is one of the people who started the Dumpster Divers. And yes, he said Flounders there, not Founders, because I think they sort of stumbled into this. The group meets once a month to exchange junk and talk about their art. I met Neil at their September meeting. While the rest of the group caught up, chatting and eating the potluck food, Neil told me his story. He started dumpster diving when he was in school at the Philadelphia College of Art, which later became University of the Arts. Hey, uh, I've got textbooks. I've got uh, art supplies. I should get some shelves. Hey, those things that hold milk bottles, those plastic milk cartons, I could stack a dozen of them up so that the do not steal this part doesn't show. So straight out of high school, I started trash picking out of necessity. But within days of doing that, you discover treasures, stuff that you weren't looking for, but Holy crap, it's very common, particularly among newbies. Somebody threw this out. I can't believe it. You do that two times, that's it. You're going to do it the rest of your life. Another one of the flounders is Joel Spivak. He's been repurposing junk for even longer. He grew up doing it. I grew up during World War II. And, of course, we didn't throw anything out. Mm. We reused everything ten times over. Uh, one of my first skilled jobs was my grandfather bought me a hammer, and I used to straighten nails for him. We would denail things, and I would straighten the nails, and then he would reuse them wow. to build because you couldn't buy nails during the war. You know, all the material was going to war effort. Yeah. So when the dumpster divers were formed... Uh, basically, I had already 30 or 40 years worth of building, building things to, from out of dumpsters. So Joel, Neil, and a couple other people got into the habit of exchanging junk. Because we would keep a list in our head. Well, I don't want this, but it's wooden. And Leo makes his artwork out of wooden trash. Give it to Leo. 
we were doing this somewhat informally, and Lenny goes, let's have lunch. Lenny, by the way, is Len Davidson. You'll know him if you listen to our episode on the Neon Museum. So we had a lunch at the American Diner on Spring Garden Street on April Fool's 1991. The group has been meeting and trading trash ever since that day in 1991. And they've grown. They now have about 40 members. After the group has had some time to mingle, the meeting part commences. All right, so welcome. Glad everybody could make it. And now I start to see where art really comes into play. They start with show and tell, showing off their latest work or items they've found. They have a group email list, and before each meeting, people can post if they're looking for specific things. This week, the host, Eve Hoyt, is looking for tiny items that can fit inside an old gumball machine that she found. And if you brought tiny trinkets, that was the theme. I'm trying to fill the, the gumball machine. Um, she wants to I fill it with trinkets that she puts in small plastic containers, just like you used to see outside grocery stores, where you'd put in a quarter and get a random toy. Except the prizes here can be anything small. A die, a Hard Rock Cafe pin, a little mushroom figurine. Someone brought in these tiny metal human figures that look like they used to be earrings or a necklace maybe. These are um, Italian folk charms. And it's the hunchback. And he's called the Gobo, G-O-B-O. Eve works in neon and found object art. Everyone in the group has their own niche. Joel, for example, is an architect and a carpenter. Almost everything in his home he built from stuff he found in buildings that were abandoned or about to be demolished. All these bottom doors here were from my convent. Each nun had a, a closet. And when we were renovating the convent to make apartments, I saved all the doors. And then basically what I did was I built the cabinets out of plywood and used the old doors. Yeah, so basically all the furniture in here is made from Everything's made doors. From doors. Or... This is actually made from three doors. Here, this is a door, oh, yeah. store door, and I take the glass out and put a mirror in. Cool. It's one of those Alden Cole is another member of the group. He's a painter, and he makes lamps. The decorative lamp thing got going for me in probably 97. And at this point, I've made, I guess, I'm guessing probably somewhere between six and seven hundred. Painting definitely has an element of work for me, hmm. whereas lamp making is all about fun and lightness for me. Lightness, I guess, literally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so depending on their medium, not everyone is literally a dumpster diver. Alden finds most of his materials at thrift stores or maybe on the street. Joel gets a lot of hand-me-down furniture, things that wouldn't fit in a dumpster. Everyone gets stuff from their monthly junk exchange. But the group does have its name for a reason. Simone Spicer might be the most literal example of someone who makes art out of trash. 
I work with recycled plastics and cardboard boxes. So my okay. stuff is trash. <laughs> it doesn't have any redeeming quality as an object. I'm collecting milk jugs, white uh, Tide bottles, you know, um, shampoo bottles, cardboard boxes, different types of pack cardboard packaging, different sizes of corrugation and um, that sort of thing, and that's what I work in. For one project, which she calls Plastic Galactic, she collected thousands of plastic bottles. Over a thousand, probably 2,000 bottles in the course of one month. And then I set a kiddie pool up in my backyard and poured bleach in it and threw bottles <laughs> in and stirred them around with a broom and rinsed them and let them dry out. It was like a giant ordeal. So mm -hmm. what was the final um, product with all those plastic bottles? You said it was at the airport? It was at the airport. It was in a big case that was 20 feet wide and 10 feet tall, I think. And I made um, deep space objects and spiral galaxies using transparent bottles, LED color changing lights inside the bottles, and stretching black plastic bags to get kind of a space feeling. And there was a lot of reflection. So, yeah, Simone literally picks plastic bottles or cans or pieces of cardboard out of random strangers' trash. She likes to go out to Delaware County because they actually separate their recycling. And yes, she admits it is a little awkward. All the plastic's washed, and I could just pick through people's containers, and I always wear a shirt or a jacket or something that says, trash for art, because I've had people like open their doors and watch me rummaging through their trash and said, like, what are you doing? And yeah. I need them to know I'm not looking for canceled bank checks or <laughs> statements. Or <laughs> right. Well, that would definitely be a concern. It's mm -hmm. like, do, are you going to get caught? You it's kind of weird, trouble? even though it's out there to be taken away and nobody wants it anymore. Obviously, it's still weird going through. So I do that and I like to go with other people. Neil, on the other hand, has no reservations at all. The big thing in the online forums is... What's the laws in my state? Am I going to get arrested for this? Do not worry about getting caught. The planet will continue to spin. The sun will continue to rise. No police department in their right mind would risk a newspaper with the headline, Artist Arrested for Trash Picking. Neil goes dumpster diving around the city and the suburbs, he talks about going to dumpsters behind shops that have thrown out unused items. But he's gotten the most pushback out on the main line. The fact is, I have had assholes almost always in small towns where they don't have anything better to do. I often mimic them. Hey, that's my trash. Get out of my trash. <laughs> Depending on the person doing it, I either indulge them and come back later or I confront them right then and there. I stand my ground. I go, okay, I'll wait. Call the police. While you do that, I'm going to call all the newspapers and we'll have a meeting here about how you're arresting people for taking that Baccarat crystal out of your landfill. It's not a total free-for-all, though. Neil does have some general guidelines for dumpster diving. So... 
if you're thinking of giving it a try, remember what he said earlier. Never get into a dumpster you can't get out of. Also, don't make a mess. You have to leave the dumpster cleaner than when you got there because we're only able to do this through the indulgence of the people throwing this stuff out. And if you just throw stuff out of a dumpster and it's filthy when they come out, you made more work for them, which means padlock on the dumpster and no trespassing signs and local police coming by from time to time. Honestly, it sounds like a lot of work. Going out and carefully sorting through trash to find something that might be useful with at least some risk of getting caught. What makes it all worth it? In a minute, we'll get to the bottom of why the dumpster divers do what they do. It's about art, of course, but they all find their own sense of deeper meaning to it. As they see it, they're actually saving more than just your discarded junk. We'll be right back. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. you got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavin story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Johncast. We've been talking about the Philadelphia dumpster divers. And while their name might be a little off-putting, I think we've all done similar things. We buy secondhand stuff at thrift stores. Or have you ever heard of Buy Nothing? They're neighborhood groups, often on Facebook, where people give away their stuff for free instead of throwing it out. I got a really nice bookshelf from one. But not everyone takes the time to post on a Buy Nothing group. It's easier to just put your stuff out on the street or throw it in a dumpster. As Neil points out, there is a ton of quote-unquote trash in Philadelphia that doesn't really need to be thrown out. I, I say it's not a trash stream. It's a trash tsunami. And some of it is really good quality stuff. I, so, have, I you... have found single items, single items worth over $1,000. I was a professional photographer 40 years. I standardized on a specific and larger, obscure, but very high quality. I forget where my first one came from, but I found my second one in a dumpster, and I used it for 40 years. Wow. Still functioning and everything? Better than ones you'd buy in the store. Better. Wow. If you have the mindset of a dumpster diver, I can see how it's tempting to take anything you see that looks like it's in decent shape out on the curb. Someone might need it. It shouldn't go to waste. And it's free, so why not? Right. I've been doing this for over 40 years, and only now am I beginning to think, look, just because it's free doesn't mean you have to drag it back because I'm out of room. One common denominator among dumpster divers is we're all out of room. This is why a lot of the dumpster divers try to give so much away at meetings. I come up to people and they go like this. <laughs> they put their hands behind them because there's another routine regulation that says, if you touch something with both hands, the donator, the person, can yell no givebacks <laughs> and you're not allowed to return it to them. 
we've added a codicil to it that says, if you brought something and no one has taken it by the time the meeting's over, you have to take it back mm -hmm. because the host got tired of being becoming dumps. I've seen pictures of Neil's home with all the stuff he collects. It is a lot. But I actually got the chance to visit Alden at his home. He's the painter and lamp maker we heard from earlier. His house is an art project in itself. The walls are covered floor to ceiling with paintings. Some walls are fully painted over themselves. He keeps the lighting low, often in different colors from his lamps. And there are a bunch of other art projects, figurines, general knickknacks all over the place. There's this elaborate patterned upholstery. It's a cacophony of color. Some people might walk in and just see chaos. I think it looks cool, but could I live there? Probably not. I feel like the idea of dumpster diving or collecting or living in this kind of place is like the opposite of there's been sort of a wave of like minimalism and like, you know, <laughs> get rid of sure. what doesn't bring you joy and all of that kind of stuff. All of this brings me joy. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, I was going to, I mean, I was just going to ask. This like, is how Alden expresses himself. And that's something he hasn't always been able to do. I guess it was probably in 1990. I came here to study with a spiritual teacher. I was trying to figure out why I was so basically disliked myself so much, even though he didn't have it, the understanding to put it in those terms then. Uh, I just had too many issues with myself as, as a queer man. To, you know, mm. So whatever, I thought. I made art instead. When I lived in New York, I went through three lovers, two years, two years, six months, and then just gave myself over to a crazy libidinous lifestyle that I pulled away from just in time to avoid AIDS. Alden never found a long-term partner after that. He lives alone now, but he seems truly happy that way. Just him and his art. Yeah, and it's okay. Uh, sur survivalists. <laughs> it's good. Well, you never know. There's still time. Yeah. Oh, what, for a relationship? <laughs> yeah. With myself. That's the okay, one that's that is, is the major <laughs> one that that's we all the most have to. Important. It is. Ultimately, too many people run into another relationship so they don't have to deal with who they really are. Yeah. Too true. Yeah. I'm a self-revelator. <laughs> Joel lives with a lot of stuff, too. He's the architect who used to straighten out used nails. But his place is a bit different. If Alden's house is an art project, Joel's is a museum. Everything around his house is old, nostalgic. Like the door handles over there are from stores there were probably well over 100-year-old stores. I'm thinking, like, how many million people touched that knob? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And there's, like, I don't know what you call it, like a spirit in the material because of what goes on with it. Joel was part of the South Street Renaissance when the neighborhood first became this thriving center for artists and self-proclaimed hippies in the 60s and 70s. I kind of accidentally showed up on South Street the weekend of Woodstock, and I found an apartment for $25 a month because the highway was coming and it was all abandoned. A lot of people had moved out when the Crosstown Expressway was planned in the 50s. The highway was never actually built, but that's another story. Joel took these abandoned spaces and built the stores that would eventually revitalize South Street. 
And I've been there uh, 55 years and almost everything that got built for the first 20 years, all the restaurants and businesses I built. Wow. The only two that are left are Copa and Ice Gallery. To this day, Joel preserves that era in the South Street Museum, which rotates between empty storefronts when they're available. As I renovated the different stores, I couldn't throw the artifacts out. I mean, uh, there would be like a desk and it would have glass and there would be like family photos under the glass. And inside the drawers would be like business cards and letterheads and things, you know, like the person got up and walked out Wow! in a way. I created this thing called the South Street Museum and it's actually being created right now in where Zipperhead was, 407 South Street, will be the South Street Museum. One of Joel's favorite things to collect is old toy ray guns. This is the first toy ray gun. Here you can fire it. I don't trigger. think I've ever used a ray gun before. <laughs> he even donated some to the Smithsonian. I yeah. amassed this incredible collection that some of it ended up in the Smithsonian and Library of Congress. Wow. I became the ray gun expert for the Smithsonian. They had an exhibit called Yesterday's Tomorrow's in the middle of the 1980s. And the theme of the exhibit is what they thought the 80s would look like in the 1930s. Joel's house is chock full of that kind of stuff. Old items that bring back memories. Stuff that maybe someday he'll display to light up the same memories for others and to hold on to a piece of history that could otherwise be lost. While Joel collects items from the past, Flounder Neal is thinking about the future and what could happen to the earth if we keep letting trash accumulate. You collect all this trash and then it sounds like you're trying to give it away at these meetings. What's the, the mindset? Like, why, all the time. Why do you collect so much stuff if you don't want to keep it? Almost every dumpster. You'll want to cry because the amount and quality of the trash, in quotes, is unsustainable. So unsustainable that I think it's going to be a large part of the collapse of our civilization. While each diver has their own motivations, this concept of sustainability seems to unite them. Kate Molina and Dave Christopher have documented the diver's art on their website, Unexpected Philadelphia, and they say the underlying message is this. The richest society in history needs to find a more sustainable way to use and reuse its dwindling resources. That's something that's really important to Neil. Our society cannot continue to be wasteful. a Disposable society cannot last long, and you can be part of the solution, you can be part of the problem. Simone, who made the art display with plastic bottles at the airport, is on the same page. In fact, a lot of her work carries that environmental message. When I started working in trash, actually I've been working in trash since the mid-80s, it wasn't quite in the community's awareness or societal awareness as it is now. People would say, thank you for bringing awareness to the problem of recycling. And I was partnering with different recycling places around 
outside of Philadelphia and handing yeah. out pamphlets and telling people what they can recycle. And it, there was sort of this activist component to the work. As people have started paying more attention to environmentalism and climate change, Simone's work has taken on an even bigger scope, contemplating human life on an existential level. Thinking about our place and planet Earth and the history of humankind on Earth and where we're going and being okay if we're not going to, you know, be here for thousands of years. Plastic Galactic, her piece that was on display at the airport, is a perfect example. It's made of plastic trash that could be here longer than we will. As she was making it, Simone was contemplating how humans and plastic both fit into the larger universe. Thinking about deep space, because we have this thought that plastic will be here forever, but it actually won't be here forever. It might be, we don't know how long, it might be here for 500 years, it might be here Mm -hmm. for 2,000 years, but ultimately, Mother Nature is going to absorb that and create some kind of new elements out of it. In a world that often seems like it's on the verge of collapse, environmentally, politically, still fighting off a global pandemic, there's a sense of peace when you talk to the dumpster divers. They've found their joy. Whether the goal is environmentalism, preservation, or self-expression, it's just really nice to see a group of people taking trash, some of the ugliest stuff we see on a daily basis, and turning it into something beautiful. Dumpster diving is important in a lot of ways. Salvaging things is important. And, you know, not wasting right. is important. Right. And art, above all else, is really important because it is the finest thing that a human being can do. Be creative. Mm-hmm. It's optimism. I love that. The Johncast is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcasts, and it's made in Philadelphia by Tom Rickard, Brian Seltzer, Myron Kaplan, Holly Stevens, and me, Sabrina Boyd Circa. Thanks to all of the dumpster divers who shared their stories, and to Kate Molina and Eve Hoyt for helping us coordinate. Check our show notes or follow us on Twitter at The Johncast for photos of some of the fabulous art the dumpster divers have made. They do have exhibits too. Go to dumpsterdivers.org or find Philadelphia Dumpster Divers on Facebook to see where they'll be next. For more stories like this, be sure to subscribe to The Johncast on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week.